Uh, my name is Brady. Uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I thought in, for Father's Day specifically, we'd play a game that is specific to Father's Day. It's not, but I do have a game we could play in honor of Father's Day. So here's what we're going to do. We have pictures, and, and the first one is a zoomed-in view of, of this, this item, and we're going to guess what it is, and then we'll show the zoomed-out view and see how awesome everyone is at guessing. Okay, you ready? Number one. This is, and for the people of the podcast, I'm supposed to describe the picture. You guys are going to have a much more difficult time. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a round item. It's silver, and there's some lighting, and there's around it, it's copper, and that is a hint. What is it? Battery. So good. Very good. Awesome. Duracell, the copper talk. Okay, next one. These get harder, just so you know. This one has some blue and some numbers and some gray. Yes, it's a combination lock. You guys are so good. Way to go. Here we go. Two for two. Next. This is kind of looks kind of hairy and it's got some blue and or some there's no blue on there. It's got some black and some orange. Anyone? It is. It's a crown. Yeah, or a Crayola crayon. I called them crowns growing up. Okay, this one is a little bit harder. It's got some purple and some brown speckledness and then some little white in the corner. Anyone? I'll give you a hint. 10,000 strong and growing. Go ahead. It's a Flintstone vitamin. We are Flintstone kids, 10,000 strong and growing. Remember? Okay, awesome. This next one, what is this one? It's got some jaggedy edges. It's silver. It's got some black on there. Oh my, that was impressive. I don't think anyone got it in the first service. Yes, it is a tape dispenser. Way to go. Congratulations. Next. Oh, this is silver and it's got a cool little design on it. Wow, so good. Yes, it is. It is, it is a root beer. You who said root beer, you were right. It is root beer. Okay, this one is also silver it, or grayish. On the outside, it's kind of uh, like got texture and the inside is blurry. Anyone? Oh my, wow, a pencil sharpener, stop it. <laughs> we are in the first service. That was amazing. Okay, next. It's got some yellow and some black, kind of some lines. It is, it is, it is a tape measure, unbelievable. Okay, one more, or more, I don't know. This one looks kind of hairy. It's got blue and black and Velcro. All right, let's show. It's an eraser. Way to go. You guys were all wrong on that one. Way to go. Happy Father's Day. Okay, this one is like, like roped and it's woven and, oh wow, it is, it is a shoelace. Unbelievable. Okay, last one. Anyone see this? It's got green. It's got some things that look like trees with some things that look like trunks and some ground. Field, forest, nature. Go ahead. It's Mickey Mouse. You were right. Way to go. It is. It is Mickey Mouse. Now, this is actually here over by Highway 27. This is the largest hidden Mickey in the world. They planted this forest in 1992. And it's amazing. Have you ever heard the, the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? Sometimes what happens is you get focused in on one certain part, one certain thing, and you can't see the full picture. You can't see the big picture. Like if I had a Rubik's Cube here, if you guys don't know what that is, it's, like, it's a cube, obviously, Rubik's Cube. And, and it's, got, it's got six different colors on it. It's got green and red and orange and blue and yellow and another color. Um, and if I were to hold it up, the people here would say, well, this is a yellow thing and maybe some orange on this side, yellow and orange. And then the front, they say, no, it's just, just yellow. And if you're really close to the front, you say, well, it's, good. it's blue. It's blue. And over here, you'd think, well, no, it's, it's, it's green and, and maybe it's yellow. 
and, and you'd all be wrong because over here there was purple and, and, and no one even knew. And you'd all be right. You know what I'm saying? If you, from a different perspective, things look differently. And if you only see a piece of something, you can't see the, the whole thing. And sometimes that distorts things, especially in arguments. Now, my wife and I, we never argue, but I have this friend, this really close friend, really close friend. And he and his wife, they argue sometimes. They do. They're sinners. Uh, and so, and, and what happens is sometimes they argue and it gets heated and it's about really important things like, did you turn on the heated drying on the dishwasher? Like, like life altering things, okay? Because now the dishes are wet and we're gonna have to dry them, just crazy stuff. And sometimes the arguments get really heated and sometimes we're both wrong. Sometimes we're both right. Uh, rarely am I right and she's wrong and a lot of times she's right and I'm wrong. You know, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's crazy how it happens. Now sometimes... Sometimes we miss it because we have a poor perspective. Sometimes we miss it because of semantics, meaning the way that we define words. Here's a great example of that. This week, I went to the dentist for the first time in five years. Everyone, oh, yeah, because, yes, it was rough. It was not fun, okay? Um, dentist is actually Latin for sadist. <laughs> I, that's not true, but, but it should be, okay? And so the, the, the sweet lady, uh, she was from Venezuela. She was so nice. She's been here for 15 years. I was, I was cleaning my gross, awful, nasty teeth. And, and she said, I see that your gums are a little bit swollen and sensitive, so I'm going to be gentle. And, and so, so for the next hour, like I squirmed and, you know, I, I was like, oh, oh. and she's like, is this painful? Like, how can you tell? But, but same thing. And, and, and afterwards I, I said, I said, you are so nice. I had such a, a great conversation with you. Uh, perhaps you don't know what gentle means <laughs> because, because that was not gentle. Okay, gentle is like a back massage or, 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 or a back scratch. That's gentle. This was like, uh, well, it's close to gentle. It's like torture. That's what it was. That's what I was looking for. Torture, not gentle. See, but, but that's what happens in arguments. You miss it, and sometimes they're important. Sometimes they're not important. Sometimes you have a perspective, and they have perspective. You're both right. And a lot of times, because we're so focused on the stuff or our side or being right, that we both walk away hurt and frustrated and angry. That ever happened to you guys? Never, 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 especially not in marriages, okay? But yes, this happens all the time. This happens within the church a lot of times, and we're gonna talk about that today because there's a great big discussion that goes on in the book of Acts. If you want to, grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, snatch up one of the beautiful blues. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 15, page 600 in this Bible, in your Bible, 758. Um, I really don't know what page it is in your Bible. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts and we've seen God do some amazing, awesome, exciting things. Uh, the gospel started in Jerusalem and it started only with Jewish people, okay? Uh, the, the first Christians were Jewish people. And so they, they came to know Jesus. He was their, their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that had been promised to the Jews for hundreds of years to come. And then the gospel did a cool thing. It spread to the Samaritans, which the Samaritans were half Jewish and half non-Jewish. A lot of times within scripture, you'll see the word Gentile. Okay, just, just in case you don't know what Gentile means, which is totally fine, it means non-Jew. In, in the Bible, they split people up into two different categories. There were Jewish people and there were people that were not Jewish people. And those were Gentiles. So you've got Jews and Gentiles. Now, the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. And not, I mean, half, 
you know, they were, they were part Jewish, part Gentile, okay? And then the gospel spread there, which was so cool. It was so cool to restore what had been separated when the northern and the southern kingdoms had split apart back around 1000 uh, BC, which we're all aware of, right? And, and it was really neat that that happened. And then the gospel spread even further and it went over to the just Gentiles when Peter went to the house of Cornelius. It, it was amazing. It was really, really cool. And then we've seen Paul and Barnabas. Just recently, we've been on their missionary, missionary journey with them as they've gone to Cyprus and then they went up to the area of Galatia and they were preaching the gospel in all kinds of different cities. And, and what happened every time is they would go to a synagogue, they would preach the gospel and at first it would sound great. Because there's like, hey, this is the history of the Jewish people. And the Jews are like, yeah, yes, it is. I, I agree with you. I concur. That is true. And then they would say, the Messiah has come. And, and the guys were like, well, I'm excited about that. I've been waiting for the Messiah. That, that's, that's good news. I'm excited about that. And then he would say, if you're a Gentile, welcome. You get to be a part of the Jewish family. You get to have the Jewish Messiah. And you don't have to become Jewish which that was the problem that the Jewish people had because in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were always supposed to be the people of God for the world, okay? But in order to be a part of the people of God, you had to become Jewish. You had to live, live under the law. You had to live under the sacrificial system. And if you were a male, you had to be circumcised, okay? And so they would say, no, 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 no. You cannot be, a, you cannot be a, a, a believer in the Messiah. You cannot be a part of God's family unless you become a Jew first. And so things went really poorly. Uh, in, in Antioch, uh, they were kicked out of the city. In fact, they were kicked out of the region. Then in uh, Iconium, they were, there was a, a plot to kill them, so they left. And then in Lystra, they actually stoned Paul practically to death. It was crazy. And then they journeyed back, okay, they journeyed back through all those cities and they came back to their hometown of Antioch, which, was, which is different from the Antioch where uh, they, they kicked him out, uh, Antioch of Syria. And in Antioch of Syria, this is what we talked about last week. They declared, Paul and Barnabas did, with their home church that sent them out all that God had done, how God had brought the good news uh, to the Gentiles, how God performed these crazy miracles, all this stuff, how the gospel was spreading, how people were being added to the kingdom of God. And it must have been amazing. It must have been unbelievably amazing. And then on page 600, chapter 15, verse one, but, oh man, however, some men came down from Judea and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Here's what's going on. Paul and Barnabas, they're celebrating with everyone what else is going on. And then some people from Judea. These are probably Christians. They're probably uh, people that love Jesus, but they were very entrenched in the Jewish system. Like this is what they had known for generations and generations. They came uh, to, to this place where they're talking about all this stuff. And, and I'm sure it went, you know, about like this. Hey, Paul, Barnabas, love you guys. Great work uh, in, in Galatia. That's awesome. Hey, just a point of clarification uh, didn't hear you mention it in your story, but I'm sure you guys did. I mean, I, I know you guys did this. Just want to make sure you circumcised all the guys, right? Right, I mean, obviously. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, 
we did not do that. That we didn't. That's not what we were about. That's not a part of it. <laughs> oh, 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 I beg to differ. And, and what, what it's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to understand because we think, you know, two thousand years later. Of course, you, you don't have to do that. That's not a part of it. But think about their life. Think about their mindset. For generations, this was a big deal. It started with Abraham. And if you'd like to, you can turn to Genesis chapter seventeen. Uh, if you would not like to, that's okay. I will read it for you. In Genesis chapter 17, God has chosen out a man named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 17, oh, I guess when he chose him out, his, he was 75 years old. This is about uh, 25 years later. He's, he's 99 years old. He's about to turn 100. And God re-ups the covenant with him. And he says, now I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Okay, and then he says, there's something I want you to do. There's a part you're going to play in this covenant. There's there's an obedience factor that's going to be a sign that you are part of God's people. And he says to him, uh, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, throughout their generations, okay? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. He goes on to talk about this is a sign. This is your obedience. He says, now every male, if someone comes in from from another nation and they become Jewish and they're male, they've got to be circumcised. If you buy a slave, the slave has got to become circumcised. This every single male, he says this in uh, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who does not, who is not circumcised, which that totally makes sense, uncircumcised, you're not circumcised, uh, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, just so we're all on the same page here, you don't want to be cut off from the people of God. Okay, that, we're just going to say that's a bad thing. That's a, that's a negative thing. We'd rather not. Okay, so, so God says, Abraham, every male from you throughout the generations has got to be circumcised, okay? And if they're not, they're not a part of my people. Now, so you can imagine these, these Jews around Judea coming in and saying, no, no, Paul, whoa, 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 whoa. Abraham, all the way back to Abraham, they had to be circumcised. This is the sign, okay? This is, this is like Jewish 101, okay? If they want to have the Messiah, if they want to be a part of this, they've got to be circumcised. In fact, Paul, by the way, I don't know if you remember old Moses who gave us the law, Yeah, Moses, he was on his way to Egypt after God had called him to be uh, the, uh, the deliverer of Egypt. He was on his way back and God stopped him and almost killed him because Moses hadn't circumcised his boys. This is how big it is. This is how important it is that every male be circumcised. This is a sure sign that you're a part of the people of God. And if you're not circumcised, you are not a part of the people of God. This is a big deal. And Paul says, no, no, I I understand. I I, I see your point. It makes sense. I understand where you're coming from. Okay, I was there. Not anymore. That's not the case anymore. Jesus has fulfilled the law and... I don't know if you remember Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I do. It says that God one day will circumcise the hearts of people. And Paul's saying, well, they've already done that. And we know that because in, in Romans 2, 29, Paul writes this. He talks about now it's a circumcision of the heart. And this debate is really heated. It's a big deal. 
And so they decide to go down to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you've got uh, the disciples, you've got the apostles, the men that walked with Jesus, and, and, and you have you know, leaders of the early church, and they say, you know what, let's go and talk, talk with them. Which is really interesting, because in our day and age, we have one of two tendencies. Either, either when we come to an important debate, a heated debate, things that are foundational, we get really mad, we get really angry, and we split. Right? Instead of reconciling, instead of taking time, instead of figuring it out, instead of working it out, we just split. I don't know how many different denominations there are, but there are thousands because we split on different issues. That's number one. We just, we, just, we just put our feet in the ground. We're like, my side's right and my side's right and we're just gonna go our separate ways. Or we say, well, we just, we just want everyone to be happy and to hold hands and so we're just not even gonna talk about the difficult things, okay? We're not even gonna approach those subjects because they're not important. Both of those are wrong, okay? There are important things that we've got to discuss, that we've got to talk about, and it's okay to have heated debates. When it comes to the truth, the truth is important, okay? But it shouldn't cause us to have disunity. So what Paul and Barnabas do is they and some others, they go down to Jerusalem, And I love what happens here. Uh, It says, uh, verse three, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation, the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. This is what I love about this. You see right off the bat that for everyone involved, especially Paul and Barnabas, that it wasn't about the debate. It wasn't about their side. It was about the gospel. And here's why. It's anytime I have an argument with someone and we're not settled, my first instinct is to call someone else and to get them on my side. And then I want to text someone else and get them on my side. Then I want to Facebook someone and get them on my side. And I want to get as many people on my side as I can possibly get. And I want, I want to tell them why, why my side is so beautiful and awesome and, and logical and get them to agree with me. And then why their side is so stupid and dumb and idiotic. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, this is what we do. We get people on our side but this isn't what they did. They celebrated what God was doing among the Gentiles and brought great joy to everyone as they were on their way to Jerusalem. That's amazing. It continues on. They went down to Jerusalem and and the debate happens again. Paul and Barnabas begin to share what's going on. And then there are some people of the the party of the Pharisees. It says in uh, verse five, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Now, just so we know, there, there could be a, a point of confusion here. In the past, when we've talked about the Pharisees, when we've come into contact with the Pharisees and the Gospels, normally they were the ones that were wrong. Okay, Jesus had a number of things to say about what the Pharisees were doing, their hypocrisy, how they were like whitewashed tombs. They care about the outside, but they don't care about the inside. He said, you're blind guides. You're leading the blind, but you're blind yourself. And he, said, he said a number of things to the Pharisees because they were wrong. They were missing it, okay? They were, it was like Jesus and the Pharisees, and they weren't on the same they weren't on the same side of things back in the Gospels. But now, these are believers. These are men who were Pharisees who became believers in Jesus, the Messiah, their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. So they love Jesus, okay? It's not, it's not you know, some people who don't love Jesus versus the people who love Jesus. These are two groups of people that actually love Jesus and are passionate about Jesus. The Pharisees, they who loved Jesus, were passionate about the law because they loved Jesus. 
because it was the law that God gave. And so their, their point was, well, God gave us the law. Obviously, you need to live under the law. And, and, and we see this here uh, in, in verse 5. It says, it is necessary. Uh, it's necessary to circumcise them. Okay, first of all, got to circumcise them. That's in, that's in the law. We've been talking about that. And second of all, and order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, there's two things. Now, it, it's not just about the sign of who's in and out. It, it's, it's not just about circumcision. It's also now about living under the law, living under the righteous requirements of the law. Okay, now the, there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament and the Pharisees, in order to protect people from breaking those, had made 1,500 other rules and regulations. So they were passionate about this kind of stuff. And so this debate rages on. People that love Jesus on either side of the debate for probably just for the purposes of the gospel because, hey, if there's something that, that people are supposed to do in order to know and love Jesus, we want them to do it, Right? So they can be a part of the family of God. So if, if that's their perspective, I can see why they're doing this. You know, they, they're like, we want people to be a part of the family of God. So let's tell them what they got to do. And I love what Peter does. Peter jumps up. <clears throat> he jumps up. He stood up, verse 7, and he said to them. Now, Peter does this a lot. Okay, we see this uh, throughout uh, the Gospels. Peter's one of the first people to speak. And then in the book of Acts, he's one of the first ones to speak, and he's usually right in the book of Acts. That was the change between Acts and the Gospels. Uh, is he's, kind of, he's kind of one of the mouthpieces of God to the early church. Peter stands up, and he begins to speak, and he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter says, guys, hey, I know a little something about this debate, and here's why. What, what we need to do, first of all, is we need to look to God, okay? We've got these two sides, and they make sense. And I understand the side of the circumcision. I understand the side of living under the law. And I understand the side of freedom. They make sense, okay? And we can, we can argue about this till we're blue in the face. And we're never going to come to an agreement unless we seek God, okay? So let's look at God's example. What did God do? Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but when, when we were only preaching the gospel to the Jews and to the Samaritans, God sent me to the Gentiles. I remember I was on the roof and I was praying and then this, this blanket came down with all these unclean animals. Uh, these were animals that the Jews were commanded not to eat, things like pigs. They couldn't eat bacon, which rough for them, okay? That, that was rough. They couldn't eat bacon and so there, there's all this bacon on this sheet, right? And God says, Peter, eat it. And Peter says, no, wait a second. No, I know this one. I, I failed many times, Jesus, you remember this, but I know I'm not gonna do that. There's no way. And, and, and God says, hey, what I have made clean now, don't you consider unclean? And then the sheet goes up. And then he sees it. It comes down two more times. And Peter each time is like, no, 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 no way. Not going to happen. And God says, what I have made clean, don't you consider unclean? Now, the Jewish people thought the Gentiles were unclean. And only the Jewish people were clean. And at that moment, as he's having this vision, there's a knock at the door. And who should be there but some Gentiles? Some Gentiles who had an interaction with an angel that said, go find Peter. 
And so they tell Peter this, and Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. And he's preaching the gospel. In the middle of the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. Peter sees it, and they begin to speak in tongues. It happens just like it happened with the Jews at Pentecost. It was crazy. Okay, and, 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 and Peter says, guys, let's look at the example that God set. When I went to the Gentiles, when God sent me to the Gentiles, I was preaching the good news. None of them were circumcised. They were all men. None of them were circumcised and the Holy Spirit came upon them. God gave them the Holy Spirit. He didn't judge between them and me. He didn't judge between circumcision and non-circumcision. He gave them the Spirit. And so I'm with Paul in saying that in Deuteronomy 36 has been fulfilled. That, that it's now a circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of the flesh. Because the circumcision of the flesh was good, but it was pointing to something that was better. Now, it was something that man could do, pointing to something that only God could do. Only God can circumcise your heart by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, I saw this, God made a distinction, and he gave them the Spirit cleansing their hearts by faith. And then he goes on, he says this beautiful thing. He says, now, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He says, I know you're passionate about the law, but don't you remember Hey, any, any, any of you guys in here uh, have fulfilled the law to a T? Party, Pharisee party? Have you guys, have you fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law? Have you done all 613 commandments perfectly to a T ever since you were born, never messing up, never straying to the right or to the left? Any of you done that? Anyone else? What about your fathers? And you guys have dads. I know you guys have some awesome dads, right? And dads and moms, any of them fulfilled it to a T? Done everything right, exactly right. No, no one? Grandfathers? No, no one? Has anyone even heard of anyone in the history of our people that has done it exactly right, done everything the way that they were supposed to do it? Now, Abraham, no. Not Moses, no. Remember, he, he didn't even circumcise his kids on time, right? Um, not David, he had that thing with Bathsheba. No one, no one. In fact, the law was a weight and a burden for us. We could not bear it because we couldn't do it. We could not fulfill it. We could not carry it. And Peter says, God, through Jesus, removed that burden from us. We don't have to live under it anymore. We don't have to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law to earn favor with God, to earn relationship with God. Jesus did it for us, okay? And so why would we, who are free from the law, who've had the weight removed from us, why in the world would we put on someone else? Why? That makes no sense. Why would we take what we couldn't do and put it on the backs of the Gentiles? And I love Peter calls them disciples. And then he makes this beautiful statement. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. It's not any different. We were saved by grace, not by acts of righteousness on our own behalf. They are saved by grace, not by acts of righteousness. We are saved by faith, not by the law. They are saved by faith, not by the law. We are saved by faith, not by circumcision. They are saved by faith, not by circumcision. It's the same. 
Why in the world would we do something different? And this moment is a brilliant moment. It's like this aha moment for everyone. And it says, and all the assembly fell silent. This is why this is so amazing. I don't know if you've ever been in a room with people that are having a heated debate. There's never any silence. It's hard to get a word in. Uh, you know, I know my wife and I don't fight or argue, but sometimes when I'm with uh, Joel and Renault and Taylor, the men on the teaching team, sometimes we have some debates about what, what, what's going on in Scripture, what God is saying here. And, and I don't know if you know this, but out of all the you know, guys in that group, I am the least talkative of them all. Which is funny because I, you know, I can talk for 45 minutes. I mean, I can do that, okay? I'm the least talkative. Uh, Renault feels like silence is a sin and it's got to be filled with words. Okay, it just has to be filled with words. And, and his words, you know, they drip like honey. Like everything he says is like, oh, yes, it's so amazing. I'm fired. Thank you. Oh, I love this. Such good stuff. And Joel, Joel is a verbal processor. He doesn't think internally, he thinks uh, out of words. Like that's just the way he is. And there's a lot of people like this. Now, I didn't understand this at first. And so I would hear Joel, he would say a sentence and then turn a 180 degree back the other way in the same sentence. Hey, I totally think this, 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 this. And then it would be like, no, it's this. And at first I was thinking, what, what is going on here? This is crazy. But he processes verbally. So we've got Renault who feels every bit of silence and Joe who uh, processes verbally. And then we care about theology. We care about truth. We care about Jesus. And so in these moments, there is no silence. There's zero silence. In fact, when we're not arguing, you have to interrupt someone to get a word in. Okay, that's just the way it is. So then when it's heated, it's even worse. And so the fact that there was silence lets me in on something. Peter said something that struck a chord with everyone. And they were like, whoa, yeah. I, 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 I didn't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. N neither did my dad or his dad. No, no one I know of could. Jesus did remove the burden from me, from me. Jesus died for me. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on my behalf. Wow, why would I do that to someone else? They fell silent. And it says they listened. They listened probably for the first time really listening. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. It's an amazing moment. Amazing moment. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that room. And then James stands up. James, James was the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know if you remember, but in the Gospels, James didn't believe in Jesus. But after Jesus raised from the dead, he was utterly convinced that rather than a fraud and rather than uh, a fool, that Jesus was the Messiah the son of God. And so James was one of the most passionate followers of Jesus in the early church. In fact, he rose up to be one of the, the, the biggest leaders, the greatest leaders of the early church. Uh, he, was, he was probably the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And so James stands up and, and he says some stuff, but I want to focus on what he says in verse 19. He says, therefore, my judgment, you know, in, in view of the discussion we've had, in view of what Peter has said, in view of what Paul and Barnabas has said, okay, my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Guys, remember, 
We were saved by, by faith. Jesus took the burden off of us. We're not going to trouble them. We're not going to burden them with laws and rules and regulations. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, this, is, this to me sounds like a Joel statement. Sounds like James is thinking out loud here. And, and he says, okay, we're not going to burden them, and so we're going to burden them with some new stuff. Right? Does it not sound like that? Is that what it looks like in Scripture? He's like, okay, we're not going to burden them by burdening them with some more stuff, okay? Some good, good rules and regulations. This is not what's going on here. First of all, no, and this, let's, let's, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going up. So first of all, we're going to keep going. In verse 21, he explains himself, okay? He says, here's why I'm saying these things. He says, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James says, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to burden them with the law. We're not going to burden them with circumcision, okay? Totally. Uh, Jesus has, has given us a circumcision of the heart with the spirit. He's fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. We don't have to. We are not under the weight of the law. We don't have to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in order to earn favor with God, in order to earn relationship with God. They don't either. But we're going to say, here's some things that you need to do. And then he says, why? Because... There are people in every city all over the world that follow the teachings of Moses. There are Jewish people and there are Gentile people that follow the teachings of Moses. And what's going to happen is this. And here's the first fear. The Jewish people, because of the way that they were brought up for generations and generations, they lived a certain way. They had a cultural context of living a certain way. The Gentiles didn't. And so the worry is, the fear is, as soon as you preach a gospel of grace, as soon as you say, hey, you don't have to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, you think, well, everyone's going to be lawless. They're going to just live however they want to live. They're going to be in, 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 you know, complete promiscuity. And they're going to continue to do all the things they used to do, the way that they used to worship uh, through, uh, you know, with temple prostitutes and, and with all these, uh, you know, things with animals and the way they did that and all this awful stuff. And so it sounds like, it seems like James is saying, okay, we can't have them be lawless, so let's have some other things. But what he's actually saying is, no, there are people who are following after Moses who don't know about the Messiah, who haven't followed after Jesus. And what we don't want is for them to stumble over the freedom of the Gentiles. We don't want the Gentiles to stumble over our law. And we don't want the Jewish people to stumble over their lawlessness. You see, it's about the gospel. Kind of like with Paul and Barnabas going and preaching the gospel rather than getting people on their side. It's not about me. It's not about my side. It's about the gospel. It's about the good news. It's about Jesus. Okay, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. But we have to remember there are other people out there. Other people that are watching us and we represent Jesus, we represent the church and if we live in a certain way that causes someone else to stumble, that's not good. And so we need to live in ways that reflect the heart of love God and love people. To submit to God and submit ourselves one to another. But it gets really complicated. It gets, it gets confusing and Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, hey, for freedom's sake, we've been set free. And I like that. We've been set free. I like free. I like freedom. Okay? But then what Paul calls himself most in the gospels and the letters, I mean, um, 
is that he's a bond slave of Jesus. But what about when you said we're free? I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm free. I'm a slave of Jesus. Like, it can be confusing. What's going on here? And what Paul is saying is the only way that we actually experience freedom is becoming a slave to Jesus. God's rules and regulations, his laws aren't arbitrary. It wasn't like he was up in heaven before he created uh, the, the you know, earth and he was hanging out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the angels. And he was like, hey, yeah, you know, they got to do something, right? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe they should, I don't know, they should sacrifice some stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. What should they sacrifice? How about a rabbit? No, those things are too quick. They never catch one. What about, uh, what about a bull? They're, they're slow. That's, yeah, sacrifice a bull. What, what if it's not that big of a deal? Well, sacrifice, I don't know, a pigeon? I, I like that, pigeon. Sacrifice pigeon, uh, maybe some grain offerings. Awesome, good to go. That's not the way that it happened. God's rules and regulations, God's laws, God's commandments are always for our benefit. They're always for our good. We've got to remember that he is the creator of the universe. He created us. He knows how we work best. And his laws, his commandments teach us how we function best. Okay? And Paul says when we enslave ourselves to Jesus, when we enslave ourselves to his way, when we submit ourselves to him, we actually experience freedom. Because before, we were enslaved. And, and what it meant by, by slavery was this. We couldn't make the right choice. Have any of you ever struggled with addiction or, or known someone that struggled with addiction? It could be something like alcohol or drugs. Uh, it could be a sexual addiction. It could be an addiction to a sin, you know, greed uh, or, or lust or, or whatever, gossip. But, but you're at the point where there's two choices. There's the right choice and there's the wrong choice, okay? There's the choice to be greedy or to not be greedy. And, 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 and you're at in this place where you cannot choose to not be greedy. That, that, that's addiction, is you cannot make the right choice. That's slavery. That's what slavery is. Slavery is not being able to make the right choice, the healthy choice, the good choice, the freeing choice. And what we have in Christ in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, is we now can make the choice that's good. The choice is good for us. The choice is good for God. The choice is good for others. We now have the freedom to live in that freedom that he died for us to have. And this is what James is saying. And I love the way that it brings all together. The idea is stop fixing your eyes on yourself. Stop fixing your eyes on other people and judging them. And stop fixing your eyes on the stuff. I don't care if you're lawless. I don't care if you're bound by the law. Stop fixing your eyes on this stuff. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But here's what happens with me so often. So often, I have my stuff. I've got my, I've got my rules and, and my regulations. You know, I've got my ways of being religious. And I know it's not right, but, but here's what I do so often is I've got, you know, these different boxes I need to check that help me know whether I'm right with God or not. If I get up in the morning early, okay, that, that's a box I can check, like some really early, like before nine or something. It, you know, I, I feel pretty good about myself. And, and if I spend that time with Jesus, okay, Ch check that off. Now, now, if I read my Bible, <laughs> whew, 
Check that off. That's awesome. It's a good thing. Okay. If I pray, oh, check that off. If I spend some time with the community of God, check that off. That's good stuff. If I, if I go to church on the weekends, check that off. And if I'm not doing bad stuff, if you know, lust isn't owning me, check. If greed isn't owning me, check. If uh, I'm not struggling with gossip, check. You know what I'm saying? And I know that if I do these things and I go to bed at night after I've had a day that looks like that, I feel pretty good. I feel like I was awesome. God, we were, you and me. We were, you know, yeah, yeah, God, you and me, awesome. And I know that when I have a day that's not like that and there are a bunch of boxes that aren't unchecked, I feel far from God. I'm like, God, where were you today? Where were you on that one when I was doing whatever I wanted to do, Right? And it feels separated. And then what I feel like I need to do is I need to do more tomorrow. If I check all the boxes off tomorrow, then I will earn favor with God. I know he, 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 he saved me. I know it was Jesus' work, but now I feel like I have to earn his favor. And so this is the system that I operate under. But what happens is that when I do that, two things. One, I don't experience the freedom that Jesus came, lived, and died for me to have. And then secondly, I begin to put that same system on other people. Now, my wife and I, we relate to Jesus differently. We, we, we connect to Jesus differently. But it's so easy for me to put my system, my things on her. And if she's not doing those things to say, sinner. I mean, you're not, you're not doing these things that, that I do. So, so you're obviously not close to Jesus right now. And the thing is, when we do this, it's crazy the way that we work. Is I, I usually, when I fail a little bit, I give myself a lot of grace, right? I give myself a lot of grace. But when other people fail my system, I don't give any grace. I, I, don't, I, don't, make, I, don't, I don't say, oh, I, I understand why you did that. I understand, you know, what your intentions were. And the things that I do with myself is, oh, I didn't mean to. Or I stayed up late for, for God, and so I couldn't get up early. But I don't do the same thing for other people. And so when I, when I look at other people, I, I think you're a sinner because you're not living under my system, my rules, and my regulations. And at the same time, in other areas of my life, I'm completely lawless. I, I, I'm completely about my way, my system of rules and regulations, my time, my money, my calendar, my personality, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not one of those uh, people that is just naturally overly friendly, okay? I'm not like a, a huggy person. Um, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not like a, hey, it's so good to see you person. That's just, it's just not my personality. Sometimes that gets in the way of the gospel. Sometimes people find me unfriendly, not just because I'm not overly friendly, but also I'm a little sarcastic, Okay, I'm a lot sarcastic, okay? And sometimes the sarcasm is kind of mean, or at least it sounds mean, it come acro comes across mean. And what I tend to say is, that's just my personality. That's just the way that I am. I'm not overly friendly, and that's okay, even if it gets in the way of the gospel. And God says, no, it's not about your personality. It's about the gospel. It's about people coming to know me and spending eternity with me. It's not about your time. It's not about your money. I, th th we have this, uh, this envelope system that my wife and I uh, do. Uh, props, Dave Ramsey. Okay, we've got this envelope system that we do with our money. And then we, we each have this envelope that's our money. Okay, yeah. After we pay the bills and, uh, you know, feed the, the giant 10-pound dog and all, all the stuff that we have to do every month, right? We have a, l a little bit of money for each of us that's, that's ours. 
mine. It's my precious money. And, okay, and so what I do with that money is whatever I want to do with that money. I, very rarely do I ever go to a store of some sort and say, God, what do you think about me spending money here? And never do I say, what do you think about me spending your money here? That's mine. That's my envelope. It's mine. I already gave to you, right? That was up at the top. I, I gave you the, 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 the generous giving, right? That, that was, I already did that. So this is mine. It's God's. It's all God's, right? And so often I get caught up on my stuff and my system and me being right. And Jesus is saying, it's not about that. You've got your eyes fixed on all this stuff and you're missing it completely. Have you guys ever seen those, those magic eye uh, posters or, or pictures where, where it looks like just a bunch of jumbled like splatter paint and you stare at it for a while and all of a sudden it's like it pops out and everything's 3D and you can see everything clearly? You ever, ever seen those? My wife just discovered for the first time how to see those. Really funny, she used to have a poster at home and she would always look at it and tell people all the stuff that was in the deal and she's never able to see it. And then I taught her how to see them because I'm awesome and, and, and now she can see them and so sometimes we go on dates just to look at magic eye books. That was free. Okay, but, but, but here it is. It looks all jumbled and you can see all this different stuff and if you're looking in the wrong places or if you're focused on the wrong things, you, you can't see it. But when you focus on the right thing and you let go, it all of a sudden becomes clear and you see this awesome 3D picture. When you fix your eyes on the stuff, when you fix your eyes on yourself, or when you fix your eyes on other people, you miss it completely. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, everything becomes clear in the way that it was meant to be. You begin to actually see it. When you love God, you love people. When you, when, when you submit to God, you submit yourself one to another. It is amazing. But so often we're concerned about the fruit. What, what about their fruit? What are they doing? How are they living? We're concerned about the fruit in the garden and we forget about the gardener. Yeah? Well, we're concerned about the laws and the rules and regulations and we forget about the lawgiver and the law fulfiller. Do you hear what I'm saying? We focus on the created things, we focus on, on ourselves, and we forget about the creator. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything works out in the way it's supposed to work out. We see it in the way it's supposed to be seen and we begin to live it in the way it's supposed to be lived. God is unbelievably, mind-blowingly amazing because he says, I have set you free. You don't have to be right. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to live up to a bunch of rules and regulations and to earn my favor. You've already got it. You don't have to do something to become a child of God. You already are a child of God. He says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God did for us, of taking the weight off of us, in view of his mercy, in view of his sacrifice, in view of what Jesus did for us, now we voluntarily enslave ourselves to Jesus. We become a bond slave of Jesus, which gives us actual, true, real freedom to live the way we were created to live. Do you hear what that is? In view of God's mercy now, we live out a life that God has ordained for us to live because of what he's done, not to earn salvation. Not to earn it, but because of it. 
in view of his mercy, we present our lives as a living sacrifice. Because God set us free, we now live free. And we take the weight off other people rather than putting it on them. I love Mosaic and I love the, the two things that Mosaic stands for. Love God and love people. Demonstrating our passion for God and demonstrating God's passion for people. Jesus says, it all boils down to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on these two. If you do this, if you fix your eyes on God, everything's going to fall into place the way it's supposed to. Let go. I freed you from having to be right, from having to win, from having to live under your system. I freed you from making the decisions that you couldn't make and now empowering you to live in freedom the way that you were created to live. I'm blown away by our God. He's, he's unbelievable. I mean, really is the way that he loves us, the way he died for us, the way that he sets us free and the way that he invites us into his team, onto his team, into his family. It's amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you, you, you're unbelievable. You really are. Thank you so very much for who you are, for your great love, for your great mercy. Thank you for the sacrifice, the death that you died so that we might live. Thank you so much for being an amazing Father who takes care of us. Lord, I pray that you would help fix our eyes on you you who authored our faith, you who are finishing our faith. God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us not be caught up in the things, in the stuff, on ourselves, on other people, but instead be caught up in you. I pray that we would live out of the great mercy that you have given us, the great grace that you've had in our lives, that we would live following after you because of your great mercy. We need you so deeply. God, we need you so desperately. We cannot do it on our own. Empower us, guide us, strengthen us. And we pray these things in your son's amazing name, in his beautiful name, in his powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen.